Good afternoon, everyone. Good afternoon <clears throat> and a happy Lunar New Year. You see, my voice is also a little bit weak after this morning. I think it's, it's all to do with age. <clears throat> it's very difficult to go beyond uh, one sermon nowadays. <clears throat> anyway, if God were to appear to you tonight and said to you, ask me for whatever you want me to give to you, what would you ask the Lord? Would you ask Him for riches, for possessions, for honour, for long life, or for health? Well, that was what happened to Solomon in a dream when he was only about 20 years old, so probably younger than most of you here. And he had just taken over as king of Israel from his father, David. And Solomon chose Wisdom, I'm sure you know, right? Because he knew that wisdom is really the foundation for success in life. And because of that, it's more important than wealth, more important than honour, or anything else that our hearts may desire. Because when you have wisdom, then the good things in life will follow. When you don't have wisdom, then even the good things like wealth and honour and riches can become a curse for you. So God was so pleased with Solomon's choice that he gave Solomon not only wisdom, he gave him riches and honour to go along with it. We read in 1 Kings that God gave Solomon so much wisdom that his wisdom exceeded that of all the men in the East. So there was a lot of wisdom in the East at that time. And in Egypt, put together. And God told him that there will be no one who will ever be wiser. And some of that wisdom that God gave to Solomon was encapsulated in Proverbs. And some of those Proverbs that we have is now collected in the book that we now have in our Bibles, the book of Proverbs. And so this is the book that we are embarking on starting from today. What are these Proverbs? I'm sure you, you have, you're familiar with some of these uh, Proverbs. You've come across things like a bird in hand is worth two in the bush, or you know, common Proverbs like this. But the biblical Proverbs that I like is as water, there's Proverbs 27 uh, verse 19, as, prop, as water reflects a face, so a man's heart reflects the man. And that's an example of a proverb. So the book of Proverbs is one of three books in the Bible that we call wisdom literature, together with Job and Ecclesiastes. And these three books also form part of five books that we call the poetic books in the Bible, which means that these books, including the wisdom literature, is written in the form of poetry. Okay? Some people consider parts of psalm as part of wisdom literature as well. And the Song of Songs is also considered as wisdom literature. So these wisdom literature that we have in the Bible, uh, that we have in the Old Testament at least, uh, the equivalent wisdom book in the New Testament is the book of James. Yeah? So it answers questions about wisdom, like what is wisdom? 
how do we live wisely? And, you know, what does it mean for somebody to be really wise? So this is the list of sermon topics that we will cover over the next six weeks. Today, we do the introduction. And as you can see, all these topics are very practical. They have to do with our day-to-day lives. And the intent of this series is really to try and bring God's wisdom to bear upon our daily lives so that we can live wisely before God, so that He may be pleased with us, so that we can live under His blessing rather than His curse. So we are dealing with the introduction uh, today. And the introduction to Proverbs is really nine chapters long. These nine chapters prepare the heart to receive the actual Proverbs, the examples of which I gave you, that begin actually from chapter 10. So if you look in your Bibles, you will see that there's a transition from the first nine chapters to chapter 10, where the Proverbs actually begin. So these nine chapters, this introduction, are really lectures from the parent to the son, specifically from the father to the son. There are 10 lectures of this, and they exhort the son really to resist evil and commit to wisdom before it is too late. So these lectures you will identify in your Bibles, they all begin with, my son, and then it carries on. Except for one lecture, which starts with, my sons, and that is in chapter 4, verse 1. That lecture in chapter 4 emphasizes to us the need to pass on wisdom down the generations, father to son to son to grandson to great-grandson or great-grandchildren. I mean, we are using son as a very generic way for children, okay? But the first seven verses of chapter 1 give us a very succinct summary of what this whole book is about. So we will focus on the first seven verses of chapter 1 Uh, today. And these verses deal with three questions. The first question is, who wrote this book? The second question is, why is this book written? And thirdly, how can we grow in wisdom? How can we become wise? So we will deal with each of these questions in turn, and then we will draw implications as we answer these questions. And in the process, we will discover what it means for us to be wise and how we can live wisely before God. So let's read the first seven verses together. If you have your Bibles, please turn to to Proverbs chapter 1. Otherwise, you can follow on the screen. We are reading from the NIV. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 1. The Proverbs of Solomon son of David, king of Israel, for gaining wisdom and instruction, for understanding words of insight, for receiving instruction in prudent behavior, doing what is right and just and fair, for giving prudence to those who are simple, knowledge and discretion to the young. Verse 5, let the wise listen and add to their learning, and let the discerning get guidance. For understanding proverbs and and parables, the sayings of the riddles of the wise. Verse 7, and that's the key to the whole book, 
and the key to the life of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. So let's handle the first question. Who wrote Proverbs? So it's quite clear from verse 1 that these are the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. But this is in part honorific. This uh, ascribing to Solomon the authorship of the entire book. Because we know that in this book, you can divide this book into several collections. People have recognized that they are actually collections of different Proverbs. For example, collection 3, and we, you can see in collection 3 there, it is stated specifically that these are 30 sayings of the wise, which have been then adapted by Solomon to become part of this collection. So they, were, they did not originate from Solomon. Same thing, collection 4, more sayings of the wise adapted by Solomon. Then, of course, you have collection 6, chapter 30. These are the sayings of Agur. We don't really know who Agur is, but he's probably a court official, somebody in a high-ranking position in uh, the palace. And then collection 7, uh, these are the sayings of King Lemuel's mother, which all our young people should read. I won't tell you what it is. You go back and you find out a very important chapter for young people. So, obviously, there are other uh, authors compared, uh, uh, in addition to uh, Solomon. But I think then the whole book was put together actually about 500 years after Solomon. So, we don't know who the editor of the whole book of Proverbs is. Uh, it couldn't have been Solomon. He collected this. And then somebody, the men of Hezekiah collected uh, uh, collection five. They put this is King Solomon's uh, Proverbs, but these were collected by the men of Hezekiah. This is way after uh, Solomon. And then there's somebody else who collected all these uh, Proverbs to put it together uh, for us. But what is more important to appreciate than who the human author is, I think, is who the, who is the source of these Proverbs? And as I told you earlier, Solomon's wisdom that is contained and the wisdom of the rest is a gift from God. The source of Solomon's wisdom was God. And the book of Proverbs itself also claims that its wisdom is from God. So we read in Proverbs chapter 8, the, the Lord brought me, that me there, is actually the personification of wisdom that is contained in this book. And it is personified as a woman. So uh, scholars refer to this as woman wisdom speaking. right? But it's actually the wisdom, uh, the personification of wisdom that is contained in the book of Proverbs. The Lord brought me forth as the first of his works before his deeds of old. I was formed long ages ago at the very beginning when the world came to be and was with the creator in his work verse 30 i was beside him like a master workman and i was daily his delight so we can see here that the book of proverbs itself claims that its wisdom is from the lord 
And in fact, God used that wisdom that is in this book to create the world. Wisdom is personified as the creator, as God's workman working alongside him. That is why we see order, we see beauty, and we see wisdom in creation. So all this beauty that we see in creation results from and reflects the wisdom of God. So the implication, therefore, for us as creatures of the Creator is that we have to take these words seriously because this is the Creator's wisdom giving us instructions for our lives. Listen to Proverbs chapter 8. Again, this is woman wisdom addressing us. Now then, my children, he addresses us as her children. Listen to me. Blessed are those who keep my ways. Listen to my instruction and be wise. Do not disregard it. Blessed are those who listen to me, watching daily at my doors, waiting at my doorway. This beautiful description of the fact that if you want wisdom, if you want to grow in wisdom, then you need to pause your life. You need to wait for wisdom. You cannot be rushing through life and expect uh, to acquire, acquire or gain wisdom. You need to daily watch and wait. For those who find me, find life and receive favour from the Lord. But those who fail to find me, harm themselves. And all who hate me, love death. We take the wisdom that is contained in Proverbs seriously because it is wisdom from God, our Creator. This wisdom will lead us to God. And when we find God, we will find life because He is the source of life. This wisdom that is contained in this book shows us the right paths to take in life. If we neglect this wisdom, then we will take a path that is away from God and we harm ourselves. That's what this verse, these verses tell us. The destiny of a path that is away from God, that is not aligned to the instructions of the Creator, will land in death. The second question is, why was Proverbs written? So verse 2 tells us that it is for gaining wisdom and instruction, for understanding words of insight. The Hebrew word there for gain is actually the word da'at, which is actually know. So those of you who are using the ESV, you will know that it is translated as know. The ESV uses a more literal translation. So it translates the Hebrew word da'at, which is know, and it takes it and uses, and it translates as know. The NIV translated as gain because our understanding of know now in the English common usage of what know is, is intellectual. It is intellectual knowledge. I know about this, I know this, I know about this. But the Hebrew know is not intellectual knowledge. It is very practical, internalized, personal knowledge that is now become a part of your being. It is basically knowledge that is lived out, knowledge that is practiced, that has been internalized in your life. 
But even though we say that the art, knowledge, does not mean intellectual knowledge, it doesn't mean that the intellect is not involved. You look at verse 2, the second part. To understand words of insight. Now, to understand is an intellectual activity. To be able to comprehend the meaning of the Proverbs, the wise sayings in this book, it requires an intellectual activity of understanding. If you look at verse 6, to understand the, the sayings and riddles of the wise. You see, some of these Proverbs are a little bit more difficult to understand. They are written in such a way that's a little bit more parabolic, right? Like parables. It requires effort. It requires study. It requires reflection to understand what these Proverbs are trying to teach us. The implication for our lives is this. Whether it is simple or difficult to understand, it is this. We must make the effort to study to understand the instructions, but we don't just stop there. We also apply it, we internalize it, and then we live it out. We practice it. That's wisdom. It's not enough just to understand what these instructions are telling us about, or what these instructions are. We need to internalize it, and we need to live it out. The Hebrew word for wisdom is hokmah, which means skill. It is actually very practical. It's a skill. So in the context of Proverbs, this skill has to do with the skill of living. Now, skill is neutral. The magicians who practice the black arts in Pharaoh's court were also described as wise men. They were skilled. A con man who knows about the ways of life and who just con people may also be very skillful in his life. But biblical wisdom has an ethical quality to it. You look at verse 3. For receiving instruction in prudent behavior, then the next part, doing what is right and just and fair. In other words, biblical wisdom is expressed in right actions towards others. So wisdom not only prospers personally, an individual, it prospers the whole community. If everyone in the community live wisely, then blessing comes to that community. In other words, biblical wisdom has this community orientation to it. Bruce Walkey an eminent uh, Old Testament scholar who really spent his entire life studying Proverbs, and he wrote one of the best commentaries in, on, the, on Proverbs, has this to say about the ethical and community perspective of biblical wisdom. He said, Biblical wisdom entails shaping a God-honoring culture that will stand under God's blessing, not one that stands under His curse. So this is what biblical wisdom aims to do. It shapes a community as we all live together wisely. The next word that we need to explain is instruction. And that's the Hebrew word musar. This means discipline or correction. 
which implies that there is a natural tendency for us to stray from the path and the need for instruction or discipline to therefore keep us on the right path of life. The path of life is a very common theme in the book of Proverbs. And I think it's important for us to recognize that if you are on a path, if you take a small deviation away from this path, with time, you're going to be veered, you would have veered way off path. And that's how it is. It is therefore important not only to ensure that we are on the right path, we need to also make sure that we have the discipline and we have the humility to recognize when we have veered a little bit off path and then to come back to the right path. That is the meaning encapsulated in the word instruction. Instruction means we have to accept discipline and correction when we realize we are off path. So let me try and summarize what these two verses teach us about what wisdom is about and how we can live wisely. So wisdom is really a skill for living a life that is aligned to our Creator's instructions. It is not intellectual knowledge, but it doesn't exclude that. It is more than that. It is knowledge that must be lived out. Lived out as right actions towards others in such a way that it will bring blessings both for ourselves and to those around us. So the implication for us is this. If the skill, if wisdom is a skill, then as any other skill, skill of playing music, the skill of playing golf, whatever skill you can think of, skill of cooking, you need discipline, you need time, and you need effort for us to become proficient in that skill. It's the same with the skill of living. If we want to live wisely, then we must make this a priority. We must be disciplined. We must be prepared to invest the time to learn, to reflect, and then to apply, and to see if we have veered off course, and then to come back to where we should be, to make the adjustments as we go along. And like any other skill, it can be taught and it must be learned, not just intellectually, but internalized. And the responsibility for teaching wisdom rests actually squarely on the shoulders of the parents within the family. Now, there are a lot of young people here. Remember this message as you begin your families. There are also some young families there. The responsibility for teaching wisdom rests squarely on the shoulders of the parents. And that is why you have nine chapters in the book of Proverbs from the father to the son, generically from the parent to the children, instructing them before they get on to chapter 10, which is the Proverbs. So as families, you can use these nine chapters and begin to go through these nine chapters in your families. Learn it together. Learn wisdom together as a family. The intent was really for these nine chapters in the, first, uh, in, in the start of Proverbs to be used at home so that 
we can then move on to chapter 10 before you learn the real Proverbs. And the best time for teaching these Proverbs and for learning these Proverbs is when you're young. You see, verse 4 tells us, for giving prudence to those who are simple. The word simple here really means those who are uncommitted. That means you haven't really made up your mind which path you are going to take in life. That's simple. And knowledge and discretion to the young. So the young has been classified as part of this group who are simple because they are young, they have not fully made up their minds as to which path they're going to take in life. That's the best time to learn Proverbs, to learn biblical wisdom. And what do we learn? What do we teach the young? Number one, we teach the young and we learn as young people to live carefully. That's the meaning of the word prudence, careful. That means we have to live thoughtfully, not loosely, without thought. Anything goes, anything also okay. No, we live carefully, we live thoughtfully. And then the second thing we must learn to live is to live with purpose. That's the meaning of the word discretion there. Discretion has to do with discernment. In other words, there's a whole range of choices available to us. What do you choose? How are you going to choose? You choose that way that is aligned to your purpose in life. So you have to live purposefully. If your purpose is clear, then your choices will be obvious. <clears throat> so the application is this. We need to recognize that there is a battle going on for your hearts and minds, young people. And for the parents, there is a battle going on for the hearts and minds of our young. We are bombarded with ubiquitous entertainment, social media. All these things are not neutral. They have a message. Every movie that you watch has a message. Every time you engage in social media, people are telling you all kinds of worldviews. They are sharing their worldviews with you. All these movies and entertainment are meant to hook you. I read somewhere that you have only five seconds to turn off that series in Netflix before you're hooked. So which means that the creators of Netflix will make sure that within five seconds, if you don't switch it off, you're hooked. Well, I don't know if it's really that uh, addictive, but well, that's the study that you should, which means that if you are a creator of a Netflix series, you will want to hook that person in five seconds. That's how the world functions. That's how they are grabbing your attention, and that's how they want to communicate their worldviews to you. If we don't make learning biblical wisdom or teaching biblical wisdom to our young a priority, if we don't focus on this, make time for it, then we will lose this battle because they will be getting all other kinds of worldviews. You see, this battle for hearts and minds 
doesn't occur even ju just now for us in this age. It also happened during Solomon's time. This battle for the hearts and minds for the young is a constant theme for this first nine chapters in Proverbs. You read in Proverbs 1, verse 10. My son, if sinful men entice you, do not give in to them. Straight away, there is an enticement of your heart and your mind to follow that path. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 20, 21. Out in the open, wisdom calls aloud. She raises her voice in the public square. On top of the wall, she cries out. At the city gate, she makes a speech. This is the personification of wisdom. As a woman who is now crying out aloud in the open, unashamedly, she's raising her voice out in the open, in the public square, in the marketplaces, in the noisy streets. Why? Because there is competition of the other voices around, in the marketplace, in the public square. This is the competition that woman wisdom is trying to, to overcome, as it were. And then at the city gate, she makes a speech. The city gate is the entrance to the city. Anyone who wants to get into the city must get through the city gate. And woman wisdom is positioned herself there to make sure that before the young man gets into the city, as it were, leaves the home and gets into the city, she hears, or the young man or the young woman hears, they hear biblical wisdom before they get into the city. And that's our role as parents. And that's the encouragement for you, young people. Get biblical wisdom before you get into the city, as it were. So the message is clear. We must teach our children biblical wisdom. And for the young people, you must ground yourself. Get yourself that lens of biblical wisdom, that biblical worldview with which you will evaluate all other worldviews so that you do not get so easily influenced and follow the wrong path. But biblical wisdom is not only for the young, for the uncommitted. It is also for the wise, those who are already on this path and growing in wisdom. And the implication, therefore, for us who are a little bit more mature is that you never fully arrive. Wisdom is not a destination. It is a process. It is growth. We can continue and we must continue to grow wiser and wiser with age. The implication, therefore, for us is that we must remain teachable. We must remain humble. There's no such thing as, oh, I know it all now, and therefore I'm just teaching uh, the young. No, I grow together in wisdom as the young also grows in wisdom. I'm open to learning no matter what age I am or how much experience I've gotten, as it were. Proverbs warns us against not continuing to listen. He says, Proverbs 19, verse 27, Stop listening to instruction and you will stray from words of knowledge. And when you stray from these words of knowledge, 
you enter a different path. That path will not lead you to the path of life. And I explained earlier, instruction, what, the, what these verses, stop listening to instruction, that instruction there has to do with correction, has to do with discipline. In other words, we have to live our lives in such a way that we have to be always open to correction and to discipline, to know, to reflect on our lives and to know whether or not we are on track, on path. I cannot overemphasize how important this is. Because no matter where you are, none of us here sitting in this room is as wise as Solomon. Correct? You may be the wisest man in the world, like Solomon was, right now. But you can die a fool like Solomon did. Why? Because Solomon stopped listening to his own instructions. Solomon stopped listening to the instructions that God gave to him as part of divine wisdom. And then listen to what the Lord said to Solomon at the end of his life. In 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 11, says this, Since, this is the Lord speaking to Solomon, Since this is your attitude, and you have not kept my covenant and my decrees, which I commanded you, I will most certainly tear the kingdom away from you and give it to your subordinates. I think the message is clear. Any one of us can end badly, even if we had begun well. If we adopt a careless and a callous, don't care, careless, a callous, indifferent to God, attitude towards God. If we stop listening to instructions, which then leads us to the key to the book of Proverbs, and indeed the key to a life of wisdom. What should this attitude be? What should our attitude be towards God if we are to live wisely and in a way that pleases God. That attitude is summarized in this phrase called the fear of the Lord. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. In Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10, he says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So it's the beginning of knowledge and it's the beginning of wisdom. So what Solomon is saying is that the fear of the Lord, this attitude towards the Lord is the foundation for building knowledge that will lead us to wisdom. The life of wisdom does not begin with principles to be learned or memorized. It begins, first of all, with the right attitude and a right relationship with God. And that relationship is encapsulated in this phrase called the fear of the Lord. Only when we are properly related to God, then studying, learning, acquiring knowledge will lead you to wisdom. It's like the heart must first be prepared as good soil so that the seeds of God's wisdom, God's instruction can bear the fruit of wisdom. So the question is then, what is the fear of the Lord? In our English language, we think of fear as being afraid. 
We are afraid of all sorts of things. We are afraid of the height. We are afraid of dark. Some afraid of cockroaches, you know. Some afraid of snakes. But being afraid is an inadequate understanding of this phrase, the fear of the Lord. It is much more than that. So what is this fear of the Lord? Sinclair Ferguson, a Scottish theologian and a professor at the Reformed Theological Seminary, writes that this fear of the Lord is that indefinable mixture of reverence, of fear. Yes, there's a little bit of being afraid. Pleasure, joy, and awe, which fills our hearts when we realize who God is and what He has done for us. That realization of who God is and what He has done for us is not intellectual head knowledge. Yes, I know this in the head. It is knowledge that has been internalized. It is heart knowledge. And we can learn this from Job. You know that Job has been questioning God because of his suffering. He couldn't understand why God was putting him through his suffering. So he wanted an audience with God. He wanted to meet with God so that God could give him an answer as to why he was suffering. And so God answered Job. Four chapters long from chapters 38 to 41. In a whole series of questions, not directly answering Job's question, why was I suffering? But through a whole series of questions, four chapters long, and in the process, God revealed Himself to Job. For the first time, Job saw who God is. Up until that time, his knowledge of God was secondhand. He had heard about God, but after this encounter with God, this four chapters long of encounter with God, he finally saw who God is for himself. And this is the key to the book of Job. My eyes, Job's reply to God at the end of this whole four chapters, after these four chapters, he said, my eyes had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. This is the fear of the Lord. If we truly have seen the Lord and what He has done, if you truly can see that with the eyes of your heart, you will fear the Lord. And your response will be, therefore, I despise myself and I repent in dust and ashes. This is the response of a person who fears the Lord. We don't know if Job physically saw God, but for the first time, the eyes of his heart were, eyes of his heart was open to see God for who he is. He moved from hearing about God to seeing God for himself, and he responded in humility. So the question for us, therefore, today is, do we know God, who God is not in our heads alone, but in our hearts, and what He has done for you? So who is God? And what has He done for you? I believe one of the main purposes of the wisdom books in the Bible and the poetic books in the Bible, right in the center of your Bible, is really to reveal to us the majesty and the beauty of who God is to our hearts. 
That's why it's written in poetry and song. Because poetry and song speaks to the heart in a way that prose stories just cannot. The intent of these books, these poetic books and the wisdom books in particular, is really to open our eyes to see who God is, to instill that reverential fear in our hearts for God. In Job, God reveals himself as creator, sustainer of his creation, and the ultimate judge of his creation. In Psalms, the Lord is the good shepherd who cares for us, who protects us. The Lord is my shepherd, Psalm 23, you know. In Proverbs, he's the way. These are my instructions. This is the way you follow. This is the truth. There's no other truth. This is the truth, and if you follow this way, you will find life. So the Lord is the way, the truth, and the life. In Ecclesiastes, the Lord is the meaning and purpose for our lives. Anything under the sun, if you keep your eyes just on things below the sun, there will be no meaning in life. The moment you lift your eyes beyond the sun to the one whom you cannot see, but whom you can see with your heart, then life becomes meaningful and purposeful. And in the Song of Songs, the Lord is our loving bridegroom. So you recognize, of course, all these descriptions are descriptions of the Lord Jesus Christ. The poetry and the songs in the middle of your Bible really points to the person of Jesus Christ. The beauty, the majesty, the glory of God has now been revealed in flesh. For us to hear, for us to see with our eyes, for us to look at, and for our hands to touch, in the words of the Apostle John. So in Jesus Christ, we see clearly in the flesh who God is. But we also see in all its gory details, the flow of blood, the tearing of flesh, what the Lord has done for us on the cross. At the cross, we see the depths of our own evil and our own sin, so deep, so dark, that only the blood of the Creator can wash away. Our eyes gaze in awe at the majesty of the One who has the power to give life and the power to lay down His life and the power to take up His life again. And like Job, we are humble. We put our hands to our mouth and we seize our questions and we repent in the dust. But the beautiful thing about it is as we do that, Jesus lifts us up. He clothes us in garments of His righteousness. And then He prepares us to be His bride. He fills our hearts with His delight and His love, just like the bride in the Song of Songs. So that's why you see that the Song of Songs is also part of wisdom literature and how the Song of Songs also point us to the Lord Jesus Christ. And like the bridegroom in the Song of Songs, Jesus is telling you that He longs for the day when we will be fully reunited with Him in that great marriage feast of the Lamb. So you see, at the cross, we truly see 
the beauty and the glory of who God is and what He has done for us in the person of Jesus Christ. And in the language of Ferguson, then our hearts should be filled with this indefinable mixture of reverence, of awe, of fear, of pleasure, of joy. That is the fear of the Lord. So I return to the question that I posed earlier. What does it mean to be wise? And how do we live wisely? Bruce Walkie, whom I told you about earlier, has an excellent summary of what it means to live wisely. This is biblical wisdom. The life of wisdom is not just good sense. It's not common sense. Oh, you know, uh, it must be like this. This is common sense. It's not just sense. It's not even a list of principles for a happy life, for a good life, even though it may be part of it, right? But it is above all, he says, it's an attitude toward God and a relationship with God that influences, and here's the key, that influences all our actions and choices we make in life. In other words, a life of wisdom is a life where we will take God seriously. This is the fear of the Lord. So what does it mean to live wisely? Answer, we are wise when we fear the Lord. And to live wisely then is to allow that fear of the Lord to influence all our actions and choices that we make in life. In other words, we will take God seriously and we will take His words seriously. So fearing the Lord means more than coming to church every Sunday, important as that may be. It means more than being an admirer of Jesus Christ. It means allowing Jesus to influence all our actions and our choices. It means being a follower, a disciple of Jesus Christ. It is to prioritize our relationship with Jesus every day above all other things. And if that is really true, then it will, we will prioritize the relationship even above sleep, as important as that may be. Right? So, which means, therefore, in practical terms, if we prioritize that and we are living that, then we would be prepared to get up a bit earlier to spend time with God. We would be prepared to stay a bit later as we bring the day and reflect on the day before God and to see what are some areas in our lives that we could have done better in to repent, and to correct. And for the parents who are here, it means to prioritize Jesus' relationship with our children above their education. Important that that may be. It means for us to see the cross not merely as a means for our salvation. We also see the cross as a way to live sacrificially, following the footsteps of our Master. It means that we see Jesus not only as our Savior, but also as our Creator, who holds our lives and our deaths in His hands, and before whom we must give an account of our lives. Listen to the words at the conclusion of Ecclesiastes, which is the other wisdom book, the last two verses, now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God 
keep His commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. If we truly fear God, we will live humbly, we will live carefully, we will live faithfully, letting the Lord of the cross guide us in all our actions and choices we make in life. This is the beginning of wisdom, and this is how we can live wisely before God. Can I ask the musicians to come up, and then we can respond to God? Um, maybe we can sing one verse as we stand in awe of God and in response to God uh, together. Uh, this song. But I'd like to invite those of you as we stand. Maybe we, let's stand as we as we sing this uh, song together. Please lead us. majesty and your beauty. And Lord, forgive us, God, for living selfish, self-centered lives, for taking you for granted, for having callous attitude in our relationship with you. I'd like at this time now to speak especially to the young people. You're young, Solomon was just 20 years old when he committed himself, as it were, to wisdom. And the Lord gave him wisdom. In James, the Lord tells us that if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. And so, as young people, this is the best time to really commit yourself to this path of wisdom. To study, 
to make the effort to reflect, to learn, and to have in your life internalize this biblical worldview so that you can live your lives and you can evaluate all other worldviews that are battling for your hearts and your minds. So I want to speak to you today and I pray that if the Lord has spoken to you and this is what you want to commit, then let us pray together as a community and we commit our young people to seek biblical wisdom. In your families and together as a family in church, we will help you grow in biblical wisdom. And if that is what you desire, let's indicate together, raise your hand so that we can see and as a community, we will pray together. Shall we do that? Any one of you who says, Yes, Lord, I am committed to this path of wisdom. I want to seek your wisdom. Yes, I see. Just like Solomon, Lord, he asked you for wisdom. I'm asking you, Lord, to give me this fear of the Lord that will hold me in this path of wisdom for the rest of my life. And so, anybody else? Before we just pray for you and pray together as a church that our young people will be that salt and that light that will evaluate all worldly wisdom according to biblical wisdom and that they will be able to stand up and say this is the Creator's way and this is the path to life and not this. Yes, Lord, You have... You are the ones... You are the one, Lord, with eyes that can see into our hearts. And Lord, we may see the hands, but you see the heart. And Lord, we want to pray that as these young people are committed and they are seeking your face, and they are seeking and asking for you to give them this wisdom, Lord, I pray that you will grant them as you have granted Solomon. And may they, O oh Lord, live their lives in a way that is wise, in a way that will continue in wisdom, land up in life, not like Solomon, land up as wise men and women who will be lights for their generation. So God, we pray for them and we ask God that you will be with them. And as, they, as we embark on this journey, Lord, to learn wisdom from the book of Proverbs, I pray, God, that you will open their eyes to see and learn your wisdom. And as they go back and as they read Proverbs, God, I pray that you will open their eyes and they will sense your words to them, that you will give them insight to understand your instructions for their lives. You know, I also want to pray for those who are here, who have been here for maybe a long time, but you have not had that personal relationship with the Lord. You are like Job, as it were. You're admiring Jesus. You know it's a good thing. You know what Jesus did, but you have not had that personal knowledge. If there's somebody like this here, don't leave this room without entering into that personal relationship with the Lord Jesus that will start you on this path of wisdom. Is there anyone here this afternoon who have yet to make that personal relationship, that choice. Say, yes, Lord, 
I want to follow you, Lord Jesus Christ, in this path of wisdom. This personal knowledge and relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Is there anyone who needs to make that choice today? You just raise your hand as well and we can pray for you. Yes, I see that, yes. Yes, Father, you have seen our hearts and our hands. I want to pray, Lord, that you will speak to my brother and God that he will understand what it means to enter into this relationship with you. And just follow this prayer. Lord Jesus, I know who you are, what you have done. And now, Lord, I want to pray that that be real for me in my life. God, that you are the one who saved me. You are my creator. And Lord, I want to live my life for you. And now let's pray for all ourselves. Lord, fill our hearts with reverential awe for your majesty, for your glory, for your beauty, for who you are and what you have done for us. And as we embark on this journey through the book of Proverbs, oh God, help us to align our lives to your ways, to your wisdom. You are the creator. You know best. And you ultimately will be our judge. We acknowledge, God, that you know the best path for our life and you are our, our life. So, Father, we humbly acknowledge, God, that we have fallen, we have failed, we have sinned, and we repent as Job did, and we return to you, asking God that you will grant us your wisdom to live our lives in a way that will be pleasing to you in a way that will bring blessing rather than curse. So Father, we commit ourselves for the week that is coming as we enter into this book of Proverbs. Lord, lead us, guide us, for we commit ourselves to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. The service is over. If you'd like to stay back and pray and Talk a bit more. I'll be here in front. Thank you.